Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us for the 539 Church Podcast. 539 is a church in Goodyear Heights seeking to invite people into Jesus's family. If you're in the Northeast Ohio area, we'd love to have you join us for one of our Sunday morning gatherings. For more information about us, including our service times, address, and live stream information, please go to 539.church or look us up on Facebook or Instagram. If you have a Bible, would you grab that and go to Matthew 19 is where we're going to be. Uh, if you don't have one, we'll have it on the Sky Bible on the wall behind me, uh, so you can follow along there if you don't know how to navigate all that stuff. Uh, but that's where we'll be. Some of you hate the phrase Sky Bible. I don't know why, but either way, it's on the sky. Uh, that's where we'll be hanging out this morning. But as we start this series, um, something that is important, or I want you to maybe go somewhere with me or think for a moment. Um, have you ever in your life, or maybe you're there today, where you've just lost interest spiritually? Maybe there was a time you gave your life to Jesus, you got baptized, you went to camp, uh, you were on fire, you were serving in a church, whatever the case is, and man, you were just on fire for God. No one could shut you up, no one could stop you, whatever the case is, but then over time, you just kind of drifted. You just kind of pulled away a little bit, and you just started to say, hey, you know what, I, I feel indifferent to God. Or maybe the phrase that I'll use is spiritually just meh. Just like, I'm not on fire for him. And maybe for some of you, you'd say, hey, I'm not doing anything terrible, but I'm not doing anything to change eternity either. Maybe, maybe it was just on accident. Maybe it was just on accident. You got older. I mean, shoot, you got a mortgage. You're busy. You got stuff going on. You got to be at work five, six days a week, and you're like, hey, I just drifted. I don't know. And for some of you, maybe it was because God, God let you down. He didn't give you what you wanted or maybe what you were praying for or seeking him for. And nonetheless, nonetheless, you find yourself feeling indifferent to God. And in your mind, in your mind, you know it's wrong. You know it's wrong. I mean, the God of the universe has so loved you, cared for you, called you, provided for you, and all this, and you're like, hey, I just, I just don't feel anything. Indifferent, if we could define it, is this. It's having no particular interest or being unconcerned. It happened on accidents, however it happened, but nonetheless, it happened. Maybe you have seen someone who has spiritual passion or whatever the case is. We'll define that in a moment. But you're just kind of like, yeah, I don't know. I don't really care that much anymore. I know I'm supposed to care. I know I should care in my mind and my heart. I know God should have all of me, but to be honest, I haven't really thought much about him. I haven't, I, I, I haven't even considered God throughout the week. It's just not a part of my, my day-to-day. There was a pastor who took a survey, and they, uh, they said, hey, what are the biggest issues of the day? This is in New York City. Took a, took a survey. Biggest issues of the day. It would be issues that you would assume to be the problem. He would say, hey, it's, it's loneliness, People are just so lonely, man, they don't even know where to turn. Their identity, right, they, they don't know who they are in Christ or any of that kind of stuff. Pornography is on the upward rise. I mean, literally, it's one of the massive issues of our day. And lastly, they said this, spiritual numbness. You're just kind of like, I don't feel anything. I don't know what I did. I don't know how to do it or undo it. But either way, this is where I find myself. I am spiritually numb. I spiritually don't have anything for God. I used to. Maybe for some of you, you'd remember the time. You were a junior in high school. You remember when you first caught a passion for Jesus. And maybe for some of you, you're like, what are you talking about? I've never felt that way. I've never had that. And really, this series, and I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and be so bold. (laughs) 
Um, this series is built around this idea of just the spiritual roller coaster, man. You have highs, you have lows. Are you even supposed to have spiritual passion? What is, what is it? How many of you would say you find yourself in just a spiritual roller coaster pretty often? Go ahead and raise your hand. Perfect. Just built a whole series around that. I was banking on that, that hand. But either way, here's, here's what I hope to do with this series, too. Engage and end our spiritual apathy that entangles us. How do you engage it? How do you end it? And what, what are we going to do when we say, hey, not, not with my life, not with my time. I'm not going to allow apathy toward God, toward God, to really take, take my life. So today, we're going we're gonna to look at a story in Matthew 19. We're going we're gonna to camp out there today. Next week, we're going to look at, at, really, in Mark 4, how all seed is equal, how really the fertile, fertile soil, when God's word lands on it, it produces. And then the last week, it's a quick three-week series, uh, we're going to talk about how Jesus waits at the shore for Peter when Peter runs away. And he's just waiting for us to come back home. So really, this idea or this series is built around this. But I want you to ask yourself this question. What if, what if God changed your spiritual apathy? What would your marriage look like? What would your marriage look like if you said, hey, not on our watch, not on our time? What would your, what would your kids experience from you? What would your job look like? How, how would they be changed? How would they be changed? Or what if, what if, man, our church, what if our entire church, we said, hey, spiritual apathy, we're going to engage it and we're going to end it and it's not going to be on our watch. What, what would happen? And really this question, who would benefit the most from your spiritual walk? Who would benefit the most and how would they be different? And the theme verse is Ephesians 5.14. It says this, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Wake up spiritually. Really addressing, it's as, it's as if at times we're spiritually just snoozing, just sleeping right through whatever God is trying to do. And in this passage, we'll talk more next week, how sometimes there's spiritual apathy or we're sleeping spiritually, sometimes because there's some junk going on. There's some stuff we're hanging on to. There's some stuff that God's really wanting to draw out, and we're, we're kind of apprehensive about coming to him. And really, we'll say it this way. Spiritual passion is about attention and response to Jesus it's not primarily about an emotion. So anytime we talk about spiritual passion or renewed passion, there's a bunch of people that are like, hey, I'm not that guy. I'm not an emotional person. I'm not going to raise my hand when we sing songs. You can't make me do it, right? There's some of you that are like that, and I'll just be like, hey, I'd love to watch you watch the game later tonight. You are a passionate person, right? So there's some of you, you would say, hey, I'm just not an emotional guy. Well, it's not about an emotion always. Now, when you meet Jesus, it is an emotional encounter, amen? When you meet him, you meet him. And, and really, it affects you on an emotional level. But really, this idea we're talking about is this. Who has my attention? Who gets my response? Who gets my yes? Who has my heart? Now, whether you are an emotional guy or not, confession, I am a, actually a very emotional guy. I mean, we're singing nothing else in baptism. I cry, you know, I, I, I'm an emotional guy. A couple of times a year, I'll break out in a tear, and I can't stop right now. It doesn't matter if you would classify yourself as emotional. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with this. Who is my attention? Who, who stole my attention? Who stole my passion? What am I supposed to do with it? How did it get stripped away? All of those types of things we're going to address in this series. So in Matthew 19, we're going to look at verses 16 to 22. It says this, and behold, a man came up to him, Jesus, saying, teacher, 
What good deed must I do to have eternal life? What a question. If you could ask Jesus anything, some of you would say, that's the one. What do I have to do? How do I make sure? How do I know? How do I have assurance? Am I going to be there? Do I get to enter through the gates? Whatever the case is, God. Some of us would ask God this question. And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. That's a good one. Okay? I think, yeah, agree? Okay, yeah, let's keep, let's keep that one. You shall not commit adultery. Amen? Good one. Keep that one. Yes. You shall not steal. Don't steal anything. You shall not bear false witness. That's a good one. Don't lie. And then he says, honor your father and mother, which is always interesting to me. He's like, don't kill anyone. Clean your room, right? It's just a weird, it's like, okay, I'll do what mom and dad said. And he says this, all-encompassing, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? (sighs) Just pause for a moment. He knows something is off. He has externally a great life. He does a lot of good things for God, but he knows. Jesus is telling himself, he's like, hey, I've done that. I went to church. I served. I tithed. I did everything you told me to do. But what do I lack? Don't you just feel like there's something missing? You know it right here, but man, it has not gotten here. What do I lack, God? And he says this, go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possession. He says, if you would be perfect, perfect. So what is this idea? He's giving him demands he cannot meet with a response that can only come from internal life. Really, I would assume, I would assume this uh, rich young ruler, he's got a, he got a 4.0. Um, he can fake it till he what? Makes it. Yeah, he can do all of the right things for God. He, everyone would assume, hey, he is the picture-perfect guy. He hasn't missed a Sunday in a year. I mean, he did everything he was supposed to do, but there is something missing. What do I still lack? And here is often what we do when it comes to spiritual apathy or really this uh, idea of indifference to God. We start looking at everyone else and seeing what we've done, and we compare ourselves to our neighbor. It's called majority morality. He's saying, hey, how do I have eternal life? What do I have to do? What do I have to do? And he says, hey, if you're going to be perfect, if you're going to be perfect, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. So what Jesus, I want to say this, is not saying is you must give everything away to follow him. The prosperity gospel and the poverty gospel are equally damaging. The prosperity gospel is this. If you follow Jesus, if you follow him, he's going to give you health and wealth and possessions and everything's going to go great for you. There's no sickness. There's no trial. None of that. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Equally, that if you want to follow Jesus, you have to sell everything you have, live in a cardboard box, ride a bike, and then Jesus will love you, and you can earn his love by that way. That's a works-based salvation. That is not at all what he is saying. What Jesus is saying is this, is saying whatever is everything, I must be ready to give it up and follow him. Jesus is not looking at the rich young ruler and saying, hey, here's all the things you have to do. Keep all these commandments. He's trying to expose him. He's trying to pull him in just a little bit and saying, hey, you, you think you can earn this. You think you can do this. Do you think Jesus needs his possessions? You think he's running in lack and abundance? 
You think Jesus is in the red in his budget? No, let me tell you, he's not. He doesn't need his possessions. He doesn't need his stuff. He knows that his stuff has him. So what he's saying is, hey, whatever is everything to you, you must be ready and willing to give it up, to give it up in order to follow me. So the question you and I need to ask from this passage is this. What has my heart? What stole our passion? Some of you remember a time. What stole it? Who, who took it and how did it get stripped? Was it, was it a career? Was it actual possessions, man? It was the dually truck. I wanted it. Some of you are like, it was the dually, right? What, what, what stole the, was it the bow? What, what was the possessions that stole? Hey, I used to have a heart for God, but this kind of just pulled me along the way. The God, I believe, the God of the younger generation, and I'd kind of fall into this camp, the God is security. Making sure nothing bad's gonna happen. And, and honestly, I don't blame them too much or myself too much. You've went through covid Everything's bad, everything's terrible. There's a tragedy every other day, recessions on the rise. So we just pull in a little bit more. We just wanna pull back, play it safe, keep it safe. This is mine, God, this is mine. So we just pull in and Jesus says, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. What's everything to you? Yeah, I want that. I want you to be ready to give me that. Even when we would say, God, I've given you everything. We kinda hide these things and he calls us to it. And this is how we'll say it. We trade trash or treasure for trash when we choose earthly over eternal. We say, hey, here's what I want. I want a great earthly life, and I'm gonna trade that for an eternal one. And I'll get mixed up all the time, and I'll start to drift, and I'll start to drift. You wanna know what I do? I treat Akron, Ohio like my heavenly home, which is a bad trade. Akron, Ohio is great, love Akron, Ohio, terrible heaven, right, amen? You can't trade it for, and when you do, he's saying, hey, Here's what you have to do. And what does the man do? He walks away what? Sorrowful. Sad. In his, in his core because he knows. Here's what Jesus is trying to do. He's so, he's so kind and he's so loving and he's so gracious. And he's like, hey, I want, I want to talk to you. Even when sometimes you don't want to talk. And he's like, hey, there's, there's some stuff we need to talk about. And he said, hey, what's that, what's that thing you're kind of holding back? Because often, often, it is, our, it is our sleepy and sorrowful hearts that walk away because or from being self-absorbed. Sometimes, and if you're honest, if we were going to kind of pull the mic up and kind of walk around and bring you up here, I just scared someone who was here first time today. I was like, hey, we, we have testimonies every day if you're new, so just get ready. Uh, but that was a joke. Either way, um, we've never done that. But here's what's true. If we're going to bring the mic up, some of you would say, hey, I've drifted into spiritual apathy on accident. I don't even know how it happened. I just kind of drifted. I stopped caring about what the word said. I stopped caring about what God was calling me to. Maybe it was just on accident, man. You didn't even mean to. You just kind of drifted. You just fell asleep. And then other times you're like, hey, I just, I chose the bad relationship that I knew Jesus was not calling me to. I chose this person and really it just totally damaged my life. This is where I'm at. Some of us, we say, hey, you know what? Jesus called me to something just a little bit more, and I was like, hey, you know what? I am, I am not in that deep. I'm not in that deep spiritually. I don't, I don't want that. And it's a result from saying, hey, this is, this is my life. This is mine. And I want the best thing that I can have right now. The position of our hearts will ignite or renew spiritual passion. It is the deciding factor. This is not about possessions. 
for the man. This isn't about your stuff. Jesus doesn't need your stuff. It's not about any of that stuff. It's about position of the heart. For some of you, to, renew, to have a renewed spiritual passion is going to come, is going to come from the position of your heart. We're going to talk about it in a little bit. Or for those of you who'd say, hey, I have no idea what you're talking about. I've never felt anything for God. I just know that there's a lot of weirdos out there that like, they're crazy, they love Jesus, they listen to Christian music all the time, and that's just weird, right? If you would say, you know, you're kind of on the outside looking in and you're like, what, why are they like that? What, what happened? Why are they always yelling all the time? Why are they passionate people? Why are they emotional people? I don't get it. Here's what happens when the position of your heart is a predetermined yes to God. It allows him to be able to do the very thing he needs to do. Now, a lot of us, a lot of us, and this is, this is a longer discussion, but for fun. If the voice of Jesus only calls us to what is safe, are we actually listening to the voice of Jesus? Sometimes we play this game with God, play this game with God, and it's whatever is safe is what he's called me to. Whatever is safe ends up being whatever is wise. So that's the wisest decision. Is it, is it safe? Because here's what Jesus does. He's, he's looking at my heart. He's looking at yours. He's looking at our lives, and he's saying, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is not about your spouse. This is not about your kids. They're going to think you're crazy. This is not about your job. They're going to think you're nuts, too. This is not about your church. Even though your church might think you're crazy for being, having spiritual passion, that happens. This is between me and you. This is between me and you. And we'll say, okay, Jesus, what are you calling me to? And then it's whatever is safe. Asking ourselves this question, is my heart sleepy and sorrowful or positioned to submit and sacrifice? Where is my heart? Only you, only you can know this. No one's going to be able to answer this for you, not your spouse, not your friends, not your coworkers. It's going to be between you and God. Is my heart ready? Whenever Jesus, whatever he calls me to, is it to walk away in sorrow? I didn't think he'd ask me of that. Doesn't Jesus at times ask you of stuff that you're shocked he cared about? I feel like my whole life. Randomly, I'm like, he'll bring something up to me, and I'll think he'll definitely drop that. There's no way. Two weeks later, I'm like, shoot, he brought it up again. Three weeks later, I'm like, why, God, right? And it's like weird stuff. He just brings it up. Now, I think the reason, the reason, not only is the God of security, but the reason we don't want to submit or sacrifice, and this is all of us, I'm right in the camp, we live in anti, anti-commitment culture. I don't want to commit plans tonight. Something might come up. Someone better might show up, right? You might have a better offer on a better job with more money in a better place. You don't want to say yes to the job. Relationships. We have people single, longer, careers later, you name it, because we're so scared to commit. It's a part of who we are. So we don't want to say yes to a Super Bowl party because, like, you might get a better invite. You don't want to say yes to a job. You might get more money. You don't want to say yes to school, you might get a better offer. You don't want to say yes to a church, I mean, we will let you down before the end of the service. Trust me, you, you might have to decide, right? You might have to commit and say, hey, I'm all in. And so with, and this is how it transitions. It's in our relationships and then it goes to God. God help us. So Jesus will call us to himself just a little bit more, a little bit closer. He'll bring up that one thing that you've been trying to forget, trying to drop, and he'll just keep tapping and you're like, but is he really better? Is this really what I'm supposed to do, God? Do you actually want that thing? Do you actually want my entire life, my heart, you mean everything? I'm gonna be a weird guy. Are you sure, God? And he's like, yes, I'm sure. I have the best life for you, right? So 
we position to submit and sacrifice. And we'll talk about this idea of you get the predetermined yes. Let's go to verse 23. Jesus, and, and the sad part of this whole story is the rich young ruler walks away. And my personality is to chase that boy down. Don't you want to chase some people who walk away? That's a whole nother sermon, isn't it? There's some people who walk away sad and sorrowful. I want to run up and shake him and say, do you realize what you're doing? Do you realize what you're saying no to and yes to? Don't you see this whole thing happening in your life? Don't you see what God really wants? It ain't about your stuff, man, and, right? But what does Jesus do? He turns to his disciples. I bet Peter was like, let's go get the guy. And Jesus is like, hey, whoa, he's going to have to learn a different way. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. It's weird that he brings up a camel, because we're in Akron, Ohio, and we're like, a camel, um, right? Because here, here's why he does this. In Palestine, the camel is the biggest animal for them to be able to see. A needle is the smallest object in the house. He's saying, hey, in order to be brought to God or saved, it's an impossible variable on your own. He is not teaching the way to heaven is selling possessions. He's teaching the way to heaven is the position of your heart. That's what he's teaching. And they, they come to him and say, hey, how is this going to happen? A rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven, people like you and I with a lot of stuff and money and we're getting pulled and who stole our passion, what stole it, all of that happening. They're saying, Jesus, how is this going to work? How's this going to work? This doesn't work. And the only time he says with man, this is impossible, with God, it's possible, is when he's referring to the virgin birth. It's the only other time he says it. Saying, if you could be saved, that's a, that's a big church word. Some of you might have heard it. You grew up hearing it. Saved simply means that you are saved or brought to God. You're redeemed, you're forgiven, you have a future, you have a home in heaven that God sees you and he forgives all of your past, present mistakes, your future ones in Christ, in Christ. That is the clear gospel message that you cannot save yourself. I don't care how good you are, how early you grew up in church, you went to Awanas, you were giving early, you said yes to everything, you had your hand up in the worship song. Doesn't matter any of that stuff. You wanna know what matters? If you follow Jesus, that's it. That's all he's teaching with man. It's impossible. You can't do it. You can't sell enough possessions away for God to love you. You can't give enough. You can't love enough people. You can't earn your way. You can't earn your way. Only by the grace of God. It is by grace through faith. That is what he is teaching. And then he goes on in verse 27. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? All right, let's just pause for just a brief moment. Um, a lot of frustration right here for me. Um, and I got to try to condense it down to what I think is happening right now. So he talks, just pull back 30,000 foot view. He talks with the, the guy who's wealthy and got all the money and all this stuff. Talks with him. The guy's sorrowful, sleepy, and he walks away. Hey, this is not worth it to me. Jesus is not worth it. Then he says to the disciples, hey, only to get to heaven is through this way. Then you got Peter showing up saying, hey, what about us? I've given everything away. 
what about, what about us in heaven? What are you going to do for us, Jesus? And conjecture, just for fun. I have the assumption that Jesus could have been like, no, actually, I gave everything away so you could follow me. This is not about you, Peter. As much as you would like to make this about you and how much you've done and you've sacrificed and you gave it all for me, this is not about you. And either way, let me finish, then we'll come back to this. Verse 20, 28, Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world where the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone, here we go, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. He's teaching a different value system. Okay, he's teaching, hey, there's people, when they follow Jesus, their family will disown them. Some of you, that has actually happened. Friends, you will lose friends. You'll lose house or land or mother. He's saying, hey, it's a different value system. Whoever is last will be first and the first will be last. Now, go back up to verse 27. I want to talk about this for a second. When Peter says, hey, we've left everything to follow you. Here's what's happening. Because you don't, as much as we think spiritual apathy is on accident and it just happens and next thing you know, we never connect with God, it's not on accident in any way. What happens is this. You start to look to your right, you start to look to your left and you say, God, I do more than anyone else. I've served more than them. I've given more than them. I've laid more on the line more than them. Why, why don't these fools pick it up? And you start to look to your left and right and you start to say, hey, what's, this in, what's, what's in this for me? God, God, how? and so here's what happens. Here's what happens. This is the pathway. The pathway to spiritual apathy is to look at others and compare ourselves. That's the pathway. This is how it starts. Spiritual passion is to look at Jesus and ask, what does he want from you? You don't make this about your neighbor. You don't make this about your spouse. You don't make this about someone else around you. You don't make it because that is the pathway to start to think, I earned and I deserve something from God. God owes me. I am in his, he should, I mean, God, what is in this for me? And Jesus says, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. The last will be first and the first will be last. You follow me. This has nothing to do with the man on your right and your left because this is how it happens over time. So come back to our stories. You got, you gave your life to Jesus and man, when you got saved or you gave your life, you, I mean, you were just on a tear. You were following Jesus, you didn't care about who knew, and you were going all out for God, then all of a sudden, maybe you started serving a lot, started doing a lot of things for God, and on your way, you started to notice, hey, I'm, I'm ahead of everyone else. Why don't they catch up, Jesus? Why don't they come up to where I'm at? And so then you start to compare, then you start to complain, and next thing you know, you're like, I didn't get what I deserved. Jesus didn't bless me like them. He didn't do this for me like he did for them. And Jesus, I, I firmly believe, o over time, the indifference that we feel for God, we've done it to ourselves. We've pulled away. We've said, this isn't worth it. This is about me. What about this story? What about this? And so here, because Jesus is so loving and so kind to look at our apathy and engage in the conversation, God is most likely to show up where he is invited. Now, sometimes, caveat, sometimes he just shows up and you didn't invite him. 
Ever happened to you? Driving in the car, someone has a conversation, bam, God meets you and you're like, what happened? (laughs) Other times, he just shows up because you were like, hey God, my life is kind of a mess. Maybe it's not a mess, but you know what? I just feel eh, spiritually. I don't really care anymore like I used to. I kind of just compare myself to other people. And so here's the verses to really back this up. It's in James 4.8. It says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That is a promise. You cry out to God, he will not ignore the cry. You ask him to help you, he will help you. Revelation 3.20 says this, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. He's a gentleman. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. I think God is such a gracious, loving, Abba-type father that he stands at the door and he's like, hey, I want to I use you. I want to change you. I want to transform your life. I want to take all of that apathy. I want to end it, engage it. And I'm just waiting. Would you bring me in? Would you let me mess this up? Would you let me change your life? Would you let me do that? And some of us just need to cry out and say, God, would you change me? So three things quickly as we wrap up. Three things. I'm going to do it rather quickly. How to position our hearts for spiritual passion. It is a predetermined yes. God, whatever you ask. Even though I'm scared to commit, even though I'm scared to say yes, I'm going to say yes before you ask me. Whatever you say is, God, it's yours. You want this? It's, your, it's all yours. It's a predetermined yes. It's a posture of humility. God, I'm not looking to my left or my right. I got my blinders on and I'm focused on you. I'm going to look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. I'm not going to look at everyone else. I'm not going to look at the past. I'm not going to look at my stuff. I'm going to look to you and say, God, everything I have is yours because you've gave it all to me. It's my only right response. And then number three is confession and invitation. The psalmist says that, we would, that he would create in us a clean heart, O oh God, that you would restore the joy of our salvation. What would, it, what would it look like if your life and my life looked like we just met Jesus all the time? Just the same passion, the same love, the same interest, all of that. What if we just confess and say, hey God, would you, would you please intervene and would you change me from the inside out? Let me pray for us this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and your love. God, I ask that you would give us a spiritual passion that is sustainable. God, one that has our attention and our focus on you. We ask that you would work in our lives like only you can. Would we not be defined by spiritual indifference? But God, would you have our attention and our response? I want to give you guys just a moment right now in the own quietness of your heart just to confess, to ask, for God to pull your heart and mind back to himself. God, we do not love you as we ought to. We fall short every time to love you with our heart, soul, our mind, and our strength. God, would you forgive us? Would you help us? And would we see you as worth our entire life? Would you guys stand as we sing one more song together?